Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. 20 most eligible bachelors. What's that? Boston Magazine. And you let them list you? Well, if I hadn't, I would have missed that funny dog. <laughs> You'll uh, dine out in that story there, Sammy. Yeah. I want them to list you as an eligible bachelor. Isn't that for men who are actively seeking female companionship? No, not entirely. No, no, no. Just good publicity for the bar, that's all. Besides, it gave me a chance to uh, air some of my views on political issues. What political issues did you air views on? I told him I thought nuclear war would be bad news. <laughs> oh, Sam, you've stirred up a hornet's nest there. Really? Well, that, I can always say I was misquoted. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Everybody knows your name You wanna go where people know People are all the same You wanna go where everybody knows your name Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and we have made it to the end of Season 2. And for this very special occasion, I went back to the beginning, the same three guests I had on the pilot episode of Cheerscast, so this could be the best reunion special ever. Unfortunately, none of them were available, so I got some other guys. (laughs) First up, one of my fellow Fire & Water Network all-stars, the host of Gimme That Star Trek panel by panel and many other shows, Please welcome Siskoid back to the show. What is up, Siskoid? Uh, everything is up that is down. Everything is down that is up. <laughs> everything is sad that is funny. Don't spoil anything. <laughs> <laughs> and my second guest is one of our Patreon sponsors who pretty much paid me to, <laughs> to listen to him. <laughs> I, he's almost like he's Mike Bloomberg. He is one of the hosts. I don't have his money. <laughs> He is one of the hosts of Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack. Please welcome Rick Heineken back. How's it going, Rick? It is going quite well. I'm sitting here ready to dive into this episode with my Town Series Pub Stout beer, which I bought in honor of our favorite little Boston pub. So let's get this going. Very nice. I, I, you know, I, I was running a little bit behind before we recorded this. I almost grabbed a drink. I was either going to grab a Corona in honor of the occasion to inoculate myself, or or something much much stiffer, given how long it's taken me to get to this episode recording. But um, folks joining us, these guys are here to help me cover the two-part season two finale. This will be released as two separate episodes, just as the episodes of the show were at the time. 
That means we are starting off with Season 2, Episode 21, I'll Be Seeing You, Part 1. This episode is written by the series creators Glenn Charles and Les Charles, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, May 3rd, 1984. Quick note, the previous episode of the show aired in late February. They took like eight or nine weeks off to show, I'm assuming, reruns or some other TV show before they came back for this finale. Now, it was not my intention to take a month hiatus of this podcast between episode 20 and this one. That is just the way, you know, fate sometimes deals the podcasting world. Anywho... Sam returns to Cheers after being interviewed by Boston Magazine for a piece on the 20 most eligible bachelors in the city. His attempt to reveal this information to Diane without angering her fails miserably. She wants to know why he would consider himself a bachelor or why he would present that falsehood to the readership. After they fight, Sam tells Diane that he mentioned her by name to the interviewer and he planned to surprise her when she read the article. Diane accepts this, but Sam knows it is only a temporary stay of execution. He tells the gang that Diane doesn't trust him anymore, and eventually she'll realize he's lying. He decides to be proactive in coming up with a romantic apology gift, and Carla, of all people, suggests that Sam commission an artist to paint a portrait of Diane. After all, that's what Burt Reynolds did when he cheated on Sally Field. Sam thinks this is a great idea, but tables it when Diane says she is willing to accept his story about the Boston Magazine interview as long as they can agree to be completely open and honest about everything. Sam misses the warning signs by Miles and admits that he was lying about mentioning her to the inter- in the interview and also that he's proud that people will see his picture and think he's a bachelor. When Diane responds by trying to strangle him with a telephone cord, Sam decides the painting is a good idea. Later, an eccentric artist from Cliff's mail route arrives to meet Sam. The artist, Philip Semenko, played by Christopher Lloyd, caustically insults everyone at the bar, including and especially Sam, when he tries to hire him to paint his girlfriend. Sam gets offended and kicks Semenko out of the bar, but just as he is leaving, he bumps into Diane walking in. Semenko is struck by her beauty and something else. As he describes it, her old soul and her incomparable suffering. Although initially creeped out, Diane does an about-face when she realizes he's an infamous artist that she's heard of. She agrees to pose for him, until Sam catches them talking and demands that Semenko get out again. He forbids Diane from posing or having any contact with the artist. She quietly acquiesces to this want, but when Sam leaves, she catches Semenko at the door and says she still wants him to paint her. Semenko warns her that if Sam finds out, it'll be the end of their relationship, but that doesn't stop the two of them from leaving together. To be continued. All right, Siskoid, what did you think of this one? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it, this exemplifies why I don't like the season two dynamic between Sam and Diane. It, it, it becomes heavy. It becomes toxic. Mm-hmm. It's hard to, I mean, for both of them. I think both characters are together. They're toxic to one another. And uh, I, I just feel like there's a, a heaviness there that in this kind of sitcom, sometimes bothers me where it doesn't bother me in other comedies. I like, uh, like, you know, heavy moments in comedies. Uh, but this isn't sports night, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I feel because of the audience that's there laughing, 
it feels like it should be a different mood sometimes. So I, I feel like sometimes season two it gets there too often uh, for me, or there there isn't enough levity for me. So this is part and parcel of this, and so I, I'm looking forward to uh, their relationship breaking up as a, because of a painting. Let, let's say, <laughs> let's see if that happens. We'll see next time. But <laughs> Rick, what do you think? I kind of agree and a little bit disagree here. I, I I do see where you're going with that, Siskoid. I think that for me, this was a necessary, a necessary evil of what had to happen with this season. We needed to have this breakup. We went through the will they, won't they. We got to other together and we saw how you know, accurate they are together. In order for the next stages of whatever the show is going to be and whatever relationship they're going to have and whatever else is coming in future seasons – we needed to get out of this relationship and mm-hmm. discover what else was going on. It does not make for a funny, funny comedy comedy, but at the same time, it, it is the necessary evil to move the plot along and to keep it an interesting show. I don't know how they could have tried to paint this, <laughs> pun not intended, um, in a way that would have, would have been more of a funny way for them to break up or to leave. They needed to, to really dig it down this deep and say, this isn't just their normal fighting. This isn't just the normal bashing that they've done against each other. This is getting into more serious territory. Yeah, I mean, well, they haven't broken up yet as far as our, no. our listeners go. Right. So, but yeah, they're definitely tottering. I mean, I, I mean, it's pretty apparent. Like, when, like, after Sam gives her the news and she kind of walks away and he just feels so spent and exhausted when he's walking back to the bar and he doesn't trust her to believe his lie because she doesn't trust him not to lie. I mean, when they're at that level of the relationship, it's like, mm-hmm. this is not good. You know, you do not belong to each other and, and, uh, or belong with each other. And he confesses that he tries to start fights with her. He goes uh-huh. out of his way to do things that will annoy her. Um, and he, he, I mean, he even asks if that's crazy, and Carla's like, "Nah, we know the women." So, they, or, <laughs> so we, they, you know, they they do pepper it with the jokes. I do agree that this is not one of the funniest episodes, but I also think that they're at this point now where, I mean, they we, we got them together at the end of last season. What is the consequence of that? Can these people who are so different and so stubborn stay together? And this is like, I mean, we, they have been tested pretty strongly, like in the past, like when when Dave showed up and tried to like break them up over Sam's little black book, when the fortune telling machine uh, was given. I mean, they have had some serious fights, and uh, it's, it's now at the point where it's like they, that's. More, more of what they do, and Sam just admits it. He's like he likes people thinking he's single and he's mm-hmm. available. I mean, that's that should tell you everything you need to know. And but he's still very controlling because he forbids her. He says, "I I don't want you going anywhere near that guy," and she blows him off. She doesn't. I mean, he has no right to to have that demand or expectation of her, but she also doesn't listen to him or or you know go along with that. Yeah, and she's very controlling of him, mm-hmm. right? So, you know his pet, his peeve in all this, his grief is that you know she tells him what to think, she tells him what to say. She's always, you know, and that she's, will definitely uh, come up in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. right. She's yeah. correcting him all the time. So uh, this is mentioned even here, and uh, that, that's why it's toxic. So he's got he's got a point. He <laughs> shouldn't be with her if if he finds that troubling i mean it may not be the funniest comedy but it is good drama uh, i'll give it that what i find most uh, disturbing in a way is that yes we have carla who you know who hates her and has all those zingers but diane doesn't really have any allies at all 
you know, because yeah. she she walks out of the room and Sam basically spills the beans about all of it. And he's very honest with Tom, Dick and Harry, Cliff and Norm, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. everybody in the bar can overhear this except her. She's out. She's in. She, you know, she's in the back and she doesn't know any of this. But everyone else does. So she's a fool in this. She's the sucker. She's the, you know, she's the jerk. Everybody talks about her behind her back, and everybody's got Sam's back mm-hmm. in yeah, this. Sam, yeah. yeah, well, and Sam's the owner of the bar. Sam is their, their lifelong friend. He's, he's the constant in their lives. Diane is still seen as the new one, just another waitress. She's still the newest part of the gang of everybody that's there. And the closest confidant that she does have would have been Coach. But even though Coach is a is a good ear for her to cry on, he still is loyal to Sam, and he'll always be loyal to Sam. Yeah. I mean, something else that has also come up in previous episodes is that she has tried to change her – she has tried to make subtle, small changes to fit in with the group and to kind of like be more with them and tend to relate more to them. And have any of them, other than Sam, by inches, made accommodations to try and understand her and her life and everything like that and, and be more like that? It's just, no, she she is, uh, I mean, un- unless she had a major personality shift, she would always be the outsider there. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because of her, her interests, her inkling, her upbringing. Uh, I do want to, I mean, this will keep coming back to their story and the whole fight which dominates this episode, um, but kind of just taking things a little bit in order. We start with this teaser. Coach is heading up a chairs picnic. He needs to find chair people for the various, you know, projects and committees for this picnic. No one volunteers, so he has to do it all himself. Um, let, let's go ahead and clarify that. Nobody moves. It is the most dead-looking crowd you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. I gotta admit, like, I, I was watching that, I was like, you know what, this really isn't that funny. It's really kind of a, a forgettable and unremarkable teaser. I mean, Nicky Calasanto is just, he's lovable, so you watch mm-hmm. him for it. And he does his best he can, but it's just kind of, at the end, I'm like, alright, there wasn't really anything to that, you know, like, like the different committees, and he ends up, because nobody volunteers, and nobody moves, he just picks so that he's doing everything. The, except, the only thing, yeah. except the only thing that saves it is the callback later, much later in the episode, when Semenko walks in wearing this Native Native American or uh, whatever Arapaho uh, ceremonial <laughs> tunic or something, and he he announces himself by saying, "I am here to pander to the tasteless." And Coach says, <laughs> "Oh, you want to head up the food committee?" Like, <laughs> that one callback was like, "Okay, that kind of made the teaser all worth it." And then in the next episode, they do more with it. But yeah, yeah. I think that the only way that works at all is the fact that Nick sells it. Yeah, he sells it hard- hardcore, and it's it's a testament to his ability to to sell a very tough scene that it's hard to get a laugh out of. But he still got laughs out of it. Yeah, yeah. I think the writers are very good at making these these little bits thematically consistent with the rest of the episode. And we'll, we'll mm. see that happen again in the next one with a different bit, yeah. Uh, yeah. with yeah. a different recurring gag. But in this one, the fact that the entire group does not move, does not help, and I've been that guy, I've been coach, <laughs> <laughs> you know, nobody wants to help, is a little bit like the way they're treating Diane in this. Yeah, It makes me hate the bar. You know, It makes me hate the, the patrons <laughs> because they, they do not throw a lifeline to Diane. They do not help coach in this picnic thing which is apparently for them it's it's the same kind of apathy uh, that's going on in, in both cases in a way so the writers are always kind of doing this or in the best the better episodes they manage to, to weave that in so funny or not funny the bit is not is not like an orphan 
it is part of the episode. You know, it makes yes. sense. Yeah. Then uh, once Sam actually arrives. He tries to slide by the fact that he did this interview as an eligible bachelor, and he he kind of tries to distract Diane by like speeding past that to tell the story about seeing a dog walking upright on hind legs. And he's like, if he hadn't done the interview, he wouldn't have seen that funny dog. And I love it. Cliff kind of comes back. He's like, hey, you'll be dining out on that story for years, Sam. <laughs> so, but I, I think like the more damning thing. I mean, you could say that you know he, I mean, he could come up with excuses about why coming across as this bachelor is good publicity for the bar. If it brings more women to the bar, they drink more, that brings more men to the bar. It's it's good advertising. He could make an argument as a businessman why doing this interview is good business and it's good for everybody there. But sure, but did, uh, it, it's not going to happen. That's not going to fly, and he knows that's not going to fly. <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe he knows that's not going to fly because he didn't even try it. He didn't tell her before he did this. He didn't say, "Let me do this as a way to get attention for the bar." I mean, Diane knows, or she should know, how much local celebrity is really important to him. Like he's mm-hmm. been over that before. Like how much he likes to recapture that celebrity that he had when he was a baseball player and how every time he gets a chance to be interviewed or reflect on those good old days of his pitching, he lives for that. And if this could be just a a fraction of that, how important that would be for him. But he doesn't tell her. And is it just because he doesn't trust her? Like she wouldn't. Yeah. 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 And and that's what he says when he's having the meltdown in the bar there where he says, I can't even lie to her anymore. I can't do this. He knows what the conversation is going to be. If he came to her ahead of time and said, I'm going to do this. As soon as he said that he was going to do that interview, it doesn't matter what story he had on the back end saying, you know, I need the celebrity. I like being looked at. I, I want to do it for the bar. I do it because I like women looking at me. It doesn't matter what he's going to say. It's going to get stopped immediately by Diane, and she's going to read him the riot act. That's what's in his mind. He's seen it happen. That's what he knows is going to happen. And I'm not I'm not defending him on this at all. I'm just saying that's the story that he already knows is going to happen. So why bother? He'd rather try to lie about it later on. Yeah, it happened recently with the ski trip. It, you know, it happens uh, quite a lot, especially in the back end of the season. So, of course, that's what's going to happen. That's why yeah. he lies about it. Sure. I do like his line, though, that uh, he keeps saying that he's doing a cheesecake spread and that, no, no, it's <laughs> it's actually called beefcake. And, and then uh, Carla's retort, well, if it was you, it would be a crumb cake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Diane's like, if I did it, it would be cheesecake. Yeah. <laughs> and Carla's like, well, if you did it, it would be crumb cake. <laughs> Um, we get in this episode, we get the first mention of the Hungry Heifer restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, this will, you know, be throughout the whole life of the show. Norm's go-to place, the Hungry Heifer. Uh, and here he says that it's a brand new restaurant. Later in the series, I'm pretty sure they, they contradict that. They retcon, they, they, it sounds like it's been there for a long, long time, but I don't remember specific years or dates. But I want to say, like... It was, I think I think they contradict that later in the series. It's a relaunch. Um, it's a relaunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, restaurants do that all the time. Yeah, um, and and Norm is completely unimpressed, and it's kind of funny because, like, I mean, throughout you know the the shows and, and later on the series, we'll we'll hear his kind of fidelity to this place that is completely unwarranted and unjustified, which is funny because it, we do see it here, um, how unimpressed he is. He hates the service and the food. Uh, this is consistent, but he, what is he? He's like, um, yeah, the, the food was just barely edible and everything. And they're like, well, why don't you send it back? He's like, oh, the, the service was terrible. By the time, you know, anybody came to ask me how it was, I was finished eating. So, <laughs> Legitimate. <clears throat> 
<laughs> yeah, it happens all the time. Yes, happens all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I did want to point out, before Norm hits the bar, or no, I think it's, uh, yeah, before Norm hits the bar, or after he hits the bar, where he's going around, he's having the conversation. At the beginning, he starts doing a little dance with Cliff, where Cliff's beer is empty, and he just swings by, grabs it, fills it up, and then as he's going by, hands it back off to Cliff. Later on, Cliff was walked back around the bar, he's finished his beer, and once again, it's they're not saying anything, he's not even holding out the beer, it's just Sam walks by and it's like he's doing a dance again. He grabs the beer, fills it, cleans it, fills it up, puts it back out in front of him. It was very fascinating to watch how effortlessly he did that. It was Yeah, there's a there's a, like a fluid gracefulness to how, how that they pull that off, yeah. And it's the just whole bar. it's part of, it, yeah, it's part of the, you know, the choreography of it. Just you know, just Carla walking by, just the right second to do the, the line. I mean, that that stuff. It's it seems easy, you know, but it really isn't. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that chalked it up to the directing uh, and the I mean, the actors too, because uh, yeah. I'm sure they, they practice this like crazy. And, and it's really it gives because it gives them something to do. And I I know just from hearing and like listening to actors and my very very limited experience with it. Actors like having something to do as as a distraction, as much as just like a physical activity to help them embody the character. So they're not just standing there giving the lines, but actually living in the moment, being yeah. present with the characters, having that physical activity makes it just feel that much more authentic and that much more real. And just it gives it that extra charge that makes you watch that much closer. Mm. So, it it yeah. makes it makes you feel like this bar is this living organism that Sam knows exactly when his customers are going to be finished with their drinks. He knows exactly that they're ready that they want another one that they aren't going to go anywhere. And 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 they know that they've got their hand out so far, he's going to come and grab the, the the drink. It's it's it makes it fluid and lived in like you said. Okay. <laughs> Now we got to talk about Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I, I'm going to just jump right out here. I have not watched these for a long time. I, I did not remember this at all. I didn't remember any. I remember the kind of the overall idea behind it. I went into this no, not knowing that Christopher Lloyd was in this episode. When he showed up, I had to pause and just stop the video. I'm like, I, hang on, wait, what? Christopher Lloyd is in this? Because <laughs> he walks in and you know instantly that that's Christopher Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Well, Taxi yeah, alumni, right? Yeah, he was yeah. one of the many alums from Taxi who came onto the show. I mean, yeah. this is before. I mean, this is a year before Back to the Future. Uh, Back to the Future. Uh, it's yeah, just one year before Back to the Future, right after Taxi. But he is kind of at the height of his career at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of a lot of big movies at this point in time, and he's pretty well known. And actually, apparently, his dad was one of the writers on Cheers too. David Lloyd? Are they related? Uh, yeah, that's his dad. I found an article where he was talking that he used to go on on set and he was looking at some of the scripts that his dad was writing and he knew some of the people on the set. Wow, I never even made that connection. <laughs> wow, okay, interesting. Um, well, yeah, anyway, I mean, like whether or not you're seeing this for the first time now or, or back in 1984, I mean, to see Christopher Lloyd walk in again, wearing this Arapaho Native American ceremonial <laughs> outfit, which draws a ton of attention to him. And and just very instantly, he just starts insulting everybody there. He, well, he, I, was, I mean, he, was he born old? <laughs> he's, he's, like, I, I can't imagine him anything else. Like, I mean, for for me, it's kind of funny now. Like, the thing about, like, you know, how many times I watched Back to the Future as a kid. I still, I think, first and foremost, in my mind, I think of him as Professor Plum uh, yep. from one of my all-time favorite movies, Clue. Clue, yes. Um, 
but uh, I have actually seen him live. Um, wow. He came to this tiny little school theater in, in northern Vermont, where I live, and he did Death of a Salesman. Oh, wow. Uh, he, played, he played Willie Lomax, the main character. And I, I went to that show and everything, and it was really great. And because it was a relatively small venue, relatively small crowd, after the play was over, the cast stuck around on stage and did a little Q&A with the audience. Um, and a lot of people filed out, but I think there might have been you know, a couple dozen of us who hung back. And I, I felt very good about it. Like, I actually got a chance to ask a question of the audience or of the of the cast, and I was like, you know, you've been touring with the show, you've done, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, however many, you know, fifty performances at this point. Um, I, I just kind of want to ask, for, as a point of comparison, how would you rate us as an audience versus the other the other group that you have? And. I just remember, like, like the cast kind of laughed. And I just, I, I was watching Christopher Lloyd, and he didn't answer me, but he, he kind of smirked and laughed and like shook his head, and I could just tell he was kind of thinking. I was like, that was a smart ass question. And I was like, got him, got him. <laughs> like, did like a little fist bump, and that was, a, that was a high point for my life. Yeah. I thought he was, it was just amazing how he came in and he took over the bar and how he actually performed as a pretty impressive straight man against Sam. He, he was, he was the butt of the jokes. I, uh, he didn't have any real jokes himself he was he was playing the straight man for a lot of other things that were coming at him and he did it so well so i i was i was pretty pretty impressed with that yeah like the the few times when he does like say something like he has this sort of like acidic biting quality yeah it's just like dripping with contempt for these people and you see it when sam comes out and like just tries to talk to him like hey like every other guy like just like puts his hand on him just kind of like i don't like to be touched (laughs) (laughs) and cliff is like oh i grok that (laughs) (laughs) and what what did carlos respond like something tells me neither of you have to tell that to a lot of people Yeah, I like the way she kind of like pointing her fingers at both. But um, Sam starts showing him these different photos. Uh, he wants her to basically paint uh, paint Diane from a photo of her without her her knowing everything. And he's like handing these pictures and just kind of telling the story, remembering these like these photos and everything. Completely, Sam is completely oblivious to the fact that this guy is so unhappy and so unimpressed. He's just it, like, like Sam does not like see him as a real artist. This is just like a novelty. Like this is like some guy that you hire out of a, a TV guide or maybe, well, that comes up yeah. later on. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Oh, just like the, like the look that he's giving him. And when Sam is handing him these pictures and they just flutter to the floor, cause Samenko doesn't even take them from his hand. Uh, going back to what Cisco had said before, it's a callback to earlier on in the episode when when Coach was giving out, asking people for volunteers, and it was stone. Everybody was a statue, and Christopher Lloyd's doing the same exact thing, just not reacting, just that angry look on his face, not moving at all, and it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, he's part of these cultural elites that that show up on the show, you know, that are yeah. part of Diane's world. But not the rest of the world. So, um, so I think I, I I don't think that's true that he doesn't have any jokes. I mean, it's just that his humor is yes. very sarcastic, and yes. he, you know. he does have my home run. So I'm going to say oh, he does okay. have yeah, joke yeah, that will and, and I I was I wasn't explaining it correctly. It's yeah, yeah, no. He's he's he doesn't have the 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 wacky kind of jokes. He, he's do the straight man jokes, and yeah. I mean the things he puts out works great. It's just that's a hard cast to to be you know playing that role of straight man with and he does it like he's in like he's been part of the gang yeah well they're, they're doing an interesting thing with the the artist trope 
because on the one hand, you've got the bar who are expecting things of an artist mm-hmm. where, you, you know, they're, they're tapped into the cliche of the artist. So they're thinking they're saying things that that relate to that caricature of an artist. But he's not that caricature. He's an entirely other caricature. <laughs> he's still another cliched artist type uh, that, that is, you know, bigger than life. But he's not the cliche that they're expect. So, so they're both being stupid by believing things. You know, they don't know the art world, and so it makes them seem really ignorant. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he can still be a humorous caricature. A, you know, yes. still a lampoon of the artist. So, so there's enough there. You know, the writers know enough to, to create two uh, artist caricatures in there. And I think I think that helps to work with what happens with Sam and him at the end, where. Sam just doesn't like the guy. And Sam, we've seen Sam get along with anybody. I mean, he can get along with Harry the Hat. And (laughs) this guy just rubs him extremely the wrong way. He's like, okay, you look down on us even more than Diane looks down on us. I mean, you've got nothing in common. You're a different animal entirely than us. Yeah, as you guys were describing that, I was almost thinking that part of him, he's almost functioning like Carla in terms of the kind of humor he has is meant to poke their balloons. He's chopping away at them and attacking them, but he doesn't have, he's not on their side ultimately mm-hmm. the way Carla is. Right. He is just like that outsider. He's, he's like, you know, like as Cisco said, he's kind of from the other world, almost more like Sumner, except he doesn't have the sort of refined, uh, like necessarily education of that. He's just more angry and, and <laughs> resentful. Carla does it for fun. This guy, <laughs> this guy means it. Yeah. Well, he 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 hates the fact that he needs to do commissions. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. That, he actually says something. He's yeah, like, yeah. I was doing this for a commission. Yes, I'm not above that type of thing yet. yet. <laughs> yes. Right. So he's considered a genius by Diane when she meets him. She she already knows who he is. So he already has a name for himself. But uh, but at the same time, he can't he can't live from his art which is very rare, yeah. uh, in fact. So unless he gets these really big <laughs> yeah. grants from the government or from, uh, uh, you know, the Guggenheim or something, you know, he's going to have to do stuff like this. Well, what did uh, what did Cliff say? He's like, you know, I just happen to know that this guy received a check for, what, something like $25,000 or something like that? To the, the cent. Yeah, yeah, he knew, yeah, he knew the exact like, dollars and cent. Like, and and Zayn was like, how do you know how much he got? The, the check was it's like, well, you know, it just happened to pass in front of a 300-watt bulb as I was putting it in the slot. <laughs> well, if I just gotten that check, I probably wouldn't be accepting commissions from, you know, from this this guy from a bar right away. He, he might be, that might have covered everything else leading up to that point. He's mm-hmm, living that's paycheck he's, to paycheck. Yeah, probably. I mean, he's living large. I mean, yes. I mean, in 1984, I mean, that was... That's a yeah. lot of money. But he's also, you know, he's, he's an eccentric and he's probably wasting money on other things. And he probably had debts. He, he's still got a... Well, that's that's in the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got, <laughs> he may have some There's, lawsuits that are, are still pending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there exactly. are more layers. There are more layers to <laughs> to appeal between his of his his character on um, the next episode. But um, yeah, I mean, just like the the fight. I mean, once Sam kind of gets his number, he's just like, yeah, he's like, get out. He is like so offended by this guy. He's just 
uh, elitism and, and smugness and just, I mean, it, Sam probably feel, is feeling like he gets enough of that from Diane. He, he doesn't want it from somebody that he can't sleep with. So he's like so quick to kick him out. And then once Diane is like, you know, like it, it, it's the, the classic sort of ironic thing is that these two, these people can't get out of their own way is Diane wants Samenko wants like Sam to understand that she wants Samenko to paint her. That's what Sam mm-hmm. wanted. That's why Sam brought him to the bar. But they can't even have that conversation. They yeah. can't talk to each other about like that could have solved all of the problems. Like mm-hmm. be, she she doesn't even know why Samenko was there in the first place. As far as she knows, it was just like this chance encounter. And and Sam can't even tell her. It's like I know who he is. I invited him here. I was going to hire him to paint you. This is what and that could just solve everything. But well, at this point. They're just so angry. <laughs> and and I think part of Sam's reason is that he, like I said, this guy is shooting real arrows at him and his bar, and he he doesn't like this guy, and he will not like this guy. It doesn't really matter too much. I mean, you know, after he goes down the hole, it does, but it doesn't matter at the beginning that Diane wants him to, you know, to paint him. It, that That's beside the point. This guy has hurt Sam and his bar. He wants him out of there. He doesn't like the guy. And once you get that angry at something, sometimes it's really hard to let go of the bit. But at the same time, Samanko, I want to go back to Samanko for one second. As off-putting as he is and as elite as he is, he actually knows the number of everybody in that bar instantly. And he is (laughs) not wrong on anything he says. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to think if there are any examples where he's... Unfair to them? <laughs> yeah. No, I, it, 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 he may be mean, but nothing he says is wrong, especially when we get near the end. When he lays down, he's like, he knows exactly what Sam is like. He knows exactly how Sam is going to react. And he knows exactly how Diane's going to react. He, he sees he sees the end of the play already. He, he has already read this book. He knows exactly what the last page looks like. So he is smarter than everybody else. He is on the hmm. different wavelength because... He just understands these people. You'll make one mistake, and it's it's in the next episode. Ah. We'll, t- well, we'll yeah, talk about that. I, yeah, yeah, no. yeah, we'll get to that. That's for later, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, I, yeah, he's, I mean, he, as an artist, he has an understanding of humanity and human mm-hmm. nature, and that's kind of what he observes about these people, but yeah, yeah. Um, before we get into our like superlative categories, anything else that we need to touch on this episode? I mean, this episode is comparatively thin. I mean, it's dominated by the one fight in the beginning that takes us all the way through, and then the second half is just like the the issue with the, the artist. So there's not much of subplots other than just the, the teaser and the issue with the, the picnic and then with the hungry heifer. There is a very interesting parallel that could be uh, pulled between the entire conversation about Bert and Sally and Sam and Diane. (laughs) (laughs) How how does she describe it? You know, she's doing it like Sally was mad that Bert was doing another movie with Lonnie or something. Uh She had, yeah. She, she, uh, and then the, the, uh, uh, he still are, he still has a burning love for Dinah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I had to stop and look it all up. I'm going, I think this is Bert Reynolds and Sally Field, but I need to be sure. Yeah, yeah, and then and then like Cliff is quick to point. He's like, "Well, thanks." It was like we're not getting any help from like the gossip magazines or whatever. He starts talking to Sam, and then he looks back at Carly. He's like, "By the way, I heard that I heard that uh, Bert and Sally are heading for the altar, or Bert and Dinah are heading to the altar." And, and does it surprise anybody that the two people that do read the gossip magazines are Cliff and Carla? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. <laughs> 
Norm's tab for this episode, I clocked him as having four beers, uh, which brings him up to 190 for the series so far. Uh, For a while there, I really thought he might get to 200 by the end of the season, but Mm. one episode left. Can he get 10 beers? That's Mm. kind of a long shot. We will see next week. All right. Who did you guys think was the employee of the week? Who was the MVP of this episode? Uh, Rick, who did you think? I had to go with Christopher Lloyd. Like I said, he, this is at the height of his career. He had to go in there and and really stand up against some really great acting by everybody else. And he just came in and sold it. I mean, as soon as he walked in, he was the center of attention. And he dominated the bar. And it was very impressive to see. And I just... I really enjoyed how he interacted, how he acted against some really funny scenes, and just kind of how he took it all away. Cisco, what'd you think? I'm giving it to Diane. I my heart went to her, even though, even though she, you know she's part of that toxic relationship, and she gives as good as she gets sometimes. In this case, I thought she was the victim. I thought she was all alone. She's when she goes with the artist, she's t- making taking a stand. Uh, and uh, really, it's, it's it's since I'm considering this a drama, uh, I, I think it's her drama. It's her, her moment to shine in the dramatic department. And I think that you know, obviously, Shelley Long is good at that as as well as she as good as she is as, as, as comedy, right? So I'm giving it to Diane in this case. That's why of the two of them, I kind of felt like this was more of Sam's drama in this episode. But maybe that's part of part of the next episode that we'll see um it's when it comes to the when it comes to the episodes that are really about their relationship a lot of times it's really hard for me to choose between shelly long and ted danson i mean i think that shelly long is just naturally the better more gifted actress but ted danson does so many things really really well to make you love sam even when you think he's in the wrong um, so, uh, yeah, gosh, it, when it comes to the two of them, it is really hard for me not a lot of times to pick between them. Um, but in this case, I'm actually going to agree with Rick. Uh, okay. I think <laughs> I think Christopher Lloyd's character, <laughs> Philip Semenko, stole the show in, in his little brief thing. And, and ironically, I think he's actually better in the next episode. But, he, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll get to that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's that was great. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll go right to the home runs because I already mentioned that he did have my favorite line of the episode, which is when he first comes and he sits down. And Cliff at first, Cliff had been made kind of ridiculing and making fun of him for the way he's dressed. But then once Cliff figures out who it is, he walks up and he, he introduces himself. He goes, I'm your postal carrier, Cliff Clavin. And Samantha <laughs> goes, oh, I can die now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the way he says it, I'm just like, oh, man. He's like... So, just like if you wanted to crush somebody, it's so hard. I, I will say that that was one of the points when I watched this with my wife, where she just busted up laughing too. So that 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 might have been one of her home runs there as well. Cisco, uh, what was one of yours? Mine is uh, is Sam's actually. Uh, it's uh, I, I like it when he's uh, he's kind of a dumb cluck and, and the way it's played. But the here it's the uh, the bit about nuclear war. it's all it's all fun and laughs here at cheers uh but the nuclear war bit where one of the things that he told the interviewer was you know he gave it like a political opinion what what is that political opinion Uh, is that uh nuclear war is bad news and so uh diane responds by saying sarcastically uh by saying what is the line 
Oh, she's, you really stirred up a hornet's oh, yeah. Yeah. or something That's like it. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you really, uh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, well, oh, well, I, mean, well, I can always say I was misquoted. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> he takes that for, uh, to, to be real. Oh, damn. You know, <laughs> what did I say? What controversy did I spark? So I like that little exchange. I think that that's, that is classic Sam and Diane yeah. uh, repartee, and uh, that's my home run. Rick, what do you got? Um, mine was when Sam was going around trying to get advice on how he could fix the situation, he goes to Coach, and Coach says, well, you know, I don't normally say this, <laughs> but I think you and her should sleep together. <laughs> And Sam, it's it's a precious moment because Sam just he's already got his arm around Coach, and he's just like, "Yeah, I, I'm not going to break his heart." And he's and and Sam's comment back is like, "No, I, I think we're going to wait." <laughs> Have you had coach, relations old, or whatever? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, "No, no, I, I think we're I think we're going to wait." And then you know, Coach come back. Uh, You're a good old fashioned guy, Sam. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the entire exchange was just like, uh, how Ted Danson did not break. <laughs> I think, yeah, God, it's just sort of like the shock of it. It's like we we know that Coach can be simple, but it's like, did you honestly not know that they were sleeping together this entire time? And, and the fact that and the fact that you're right, Sam is just like, I can't break his heart if this is what he believes. Like, I, I can't do this. Like, I, I think we're gonna wait and really see how we feel about each other, Coach. To, to be fair, I think Coach might have forgotten. <laughs> um. I, I had one other uh, runner-up, which was actually the Diane line uh, when she's talking to Semenko when, um, or, or something. I don't I don't remember who proposed it, but something like about like painting in the nude or something like that. And Diane <laughs> is trying to tell Sam, trying to calm Sam down. She's like, he does not want me to paint. In the, he does not want to paint me in the nude. And then she looks to the, the artist. She's like, you don't want me to be nude, do you? I mean, I'm open to that idea. It's just that there are so many colds going around. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> it's just like the way she has to kind of rationalize that. I really like that. So, uh, any other jokes? Any other bits that you guys wanted to mention before we go? Ah, uh, I'm good. I think I'm good with this one. All right. Uh, well, folks, that is going to be our cliffhanger for the season two, uh, the first part of the season two finale. Uh, both of my guests, Cisco and Rick, will be back next episode, which knock on this wooden desk should be next week. Um, yeah, uh, Rick, until then, where else can people find you in the podcastosphere? Well, people can find me and my co-host Jeff, who usually does his painting while he wears Speedos and a snorkel. Uh, you can find us doing our podcast, which is Jeff and Rick Presents, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. And, uh, we talk about that great comic book from the 80s, Power Pack, and, uh, we drink beer and have fun. Siskoid, where can we find you? Uh, well, on this very same network, my TV show podcast is Give Me That Star Trek. So, <laughs> I'm just keeping it to TV. <laughs> As if that was the only thing you did. Yeah, yeah exactly. Make this episode shorter. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again, Siskoid and Rick, for being on the show. Listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. You can support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook and Twitter, and you can leave a comment on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to all of our patrons, especially Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians, our fabulous guest Rick right here from Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack, and Tim Price, all of whom sponsor this show. None of the other guys were on this episode, though, so I guess Rick is special. Aww. 
For more information on how you can support the network in general or this podcast in particular, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. And by the way, Cheerscast can also be found on Spotify now. If you want to download the podcast there, we are up and available. Thank you everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. You heard this clown before? Of course. He's one of the most promising young artists in the country. Someday he could be great. Oh, come on, Diane. If he was a great artist, what's he doing alive, huh? Sam, for goodness sake, will you stop? This is a chance in a lifetime. Can't you see how fascinated he is by me? I must start our sessions tomorrow, maybe tonight, maybe now. Ah, uh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute here. Don't you see what's going on? He's going to invite you over to his place, ask you to go all nuded up. Hey, <laughs> that happens to be my territory, fella. Don't be silly. Of course he wouldn't want me nude. But even if he did, I'd do it. The man is brilliant. You don't want me in the nude, do you? God knows I'm open-minded about that sort of thing. It's just that this time of year, there are so many colds around. <laughs> I paint the soul, not the body. To me, every soul is naked. The weirdo walks. <laughs>